Hello, and welcome to Quiji, uh, which is short, of course, for quick jest. Quick bites of infinite jest and a digestible uh, mobile experience. Infinite digest. <laughs> Dig- digesting infinite that's jest. What, that's what I call uh, when I eat my roughage in the morning. You know what I mean? A, A, O, O. The infinite digest. Uh, Reader's digest. Welcome new listeners uh, retroactively. Um, after Molly's triumphant exper- uh, appearance on uh, Chapo, Chapo Wife House. Um I saw a few people uh, wrecking Infinite Jest uh, to to new Molly heads out there. So uh, once you get to this episode, uh, <laughs> seventy six episodes from when you started, yeah, um, maybe you'll listen to it faster than we've recorded it. Well, I assume you did. I, I think that one of the things about the show that is kind of unintentional intentional is that it is a kind of perfect binge binge pod. That's true. Where you can just like plow through if you're into it. You can just like plow through all the episodes. Yeah. Uh which is a kind of pod that I always love and uh, enjoying discovering something that's like non-topical, non non like pegged to time. And when I'm like, oh, I like this. And then you can just like listen, listen to, to all, all of it. it. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, so maybe that's what we uh, have here. Uh, I also saw somebody say that this is the the quote least pretentious possible way to approach Infinite Jest. Thank which is God. The, the promise that we're trying to make. Trying not to be pretentious. Yes. Uh, so... Um, I'll say my pretension for my choice of wine, cheese, coffee, and drugs. <laughs> Only the best. Um, but yeah, this uh, is... Leathers. Leathers. Suits. Suits. Uh, yeah, fabrics. Uh, um, laundry detergent. Uh, what is the most pretentious laundry detergent? <laughs> That's a great... Actually, wait. No, there's there's probably a real answer. Well, Mrs. Myers does laundry detergent. That's obviously more expensive than like a Tide it, or it, a it feels and it, it markets it is markets itself as like a uh, like a boutique like small uh, you know small production. But it's I think, not like I one think of the, the big boys. The real answer would be like I actually um, I only get my laundry detergent uh, when I visit France uh, because they don't use the same additives that they do in America, and my clothes are just oh, so much happier. I'm sure that there is something sold on like Goop. That comes in one of those like tincture bottles. Ayurvedic laundry. Uh, You know, whatever the, uh, you know, the oil bottle that uh, Channing Tatum had in Lost City that uh, had his like eucalyptus oil that that they threw on the fire. Yes. It comes in like one of those with like a dropper, one of those amber colored bottles with with a dropper and and you like drop like three precious drops of detergent into your thing. Yeah. And it costs like, you know, $80 a bottle. There's like saffron in I'm it. I'm sure. Oh, that's probably a really bad idea to put saffron in your laundry. <laughs> all your laundry would get all saffron it's, colored. It's It's got saffron and turmeric for maximum. <laughs> 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 so you can tell when it's clean. Well, uh, only, only the most elite people, all their clothes are saffron colored anyway. Yes. I mean, literally like in ancient times, saffron would be like a, a dye that like yeah. the elites would use for their robes. Garments. Oh, bring bring that back. All right, what do you think? Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, we're mo- we're moving on. We're back. We're back in uh, and it and and its house, as Mario calls it. Live-in staffers' evening duties are divided pretty evenly between the picayune and the unpleasant. Can I pronounce picayune correctly? I think so. Somebody has to hit the area meetings to verify residents' attendance while somebody else has to miss a nightly meeting to man the empty house and phones and do the Picayune daily log. After the meetings let out, Gately's supposed to do a head count every hour and make a log entry on who all's there and what's going on. 
Gately has to do a chore patrol and log entry on chore performance and nail down tomorrow's chore assignments <laughs> off the weekly sheet. The residents need to have everything expected of them spelled out in advance so they can't bitch if they get popped for something. <laughs> That's basically like being a kid as well. Yes. Just being like, you know, you're going to have to do this. Then people who haven't performed on their chore have to be told they're on a week's restriction, which tends to be unpleasant. Gately has to unlock Pat's cabinets and get the key to the meds locker and open the meds locker. Residents on meds respond to the sound of the meds locker the way a cat will respond to the sound of a can opener. They just, like, <laughs> materialize. Gately has to dispense oral insulin and virus meds and pimple medicine and antidepressants and lithium to the residents who materialize for meds. And then he has to enter everything in the medical log, log which the M-log is an incredible fucking mess. He has to get out Pat's week-at-a-glance book and print out her next day's appointments on a sheet of paper in block letters because Pat finds her own palsied handwriting impossible to read. Gately has to confer with Johnette Foltz about how different residents conducted themselves at St. E's Sharing and Caring and Brookline's BYP and a woman's, women's NA step uh, down in East Cambridge they let a couple of the senior females go to and then log all the data. Uh, Gately's such a good boy. I know. Gately has to go up and check on Kate G, who claimed to be too sick to hit AA again tonight and has been in bed in her room more or less steadily for three days, reading somebody called Sylvia Plate. <laughs> Going up onto the women's side of the upstairs is an incredible pain in the ass because he has to unlock a little steel cage over a little button at the bottom of their stairway by the back office and press the button to sound an upstairs buzzer and shout up the stairs, mail on the floor and then give the female residents as much time as they need to get decent or whatever before he can come up. <laughs> Going up there has been educational for Gately because he'd always had this idea that women's areas were essentially cleaner and pleasanter than men's areas. That is a big disillusion that you you find uh, um, be becoming an adult is that the, the damn bitch you live like this uh, meme is very, very real. Women are slobs too. Having to verify the chore in the women's two bathrooms smashed his long-standing delusion that women didn't go to the bathroom with the same appalling vigor that men did. Gately had done a fair amount of cleaning up after his mother, but he never much thought of her as a woman. So the whole unpleasant thing's been an education. Gately has to check on Dooney Glynn, who has recurrent diverticulitis and has to lie fetal on his bunk when he gets an attack. And has to be brought Motrin and a slim fast shake that Gately had to make with 2% milk because there was no skim left. And then food bank crackers and a tonic out of the basement's machine when Glenn can't drink the 2% shake. And then log Glenn's comments and condition, neither of which are good. <laughs> Somebody has made those disgusting marshmallowy Rice Krispie things in the kitchen and then not cleaned up after themselves. And Gately has to clomp around finding who's responsible and get them to clean it up. And the code about ratting amongst the residents is such that you'd think he was a narc all of a sudden. <laughs> the daily bullshit here is hip deep and not so much annoying as soul sucking. A double shift here now empties him out by dawn just in time to clean real shit. It hadn't been this way at the start, the soul sucking aspect. And Gately every couple minutes wonders again what he'll end up doing when his year's staff term is up and his soul is sucked out and he's sober but without any money and still clueless and has to leave here and do something back out there. So he gets a year mm -hmm. plus the amount. Is it nine months? I think it, uh, when you're like a resident as opposed to a staffer. So he's been there for like a year and a half or yeah, something. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Kate Gompert, when he I mean, buzzed. I have a pretty, pretty strong uh, a, a resume pitch for like head maintenance staff at something. He is a felon, though. That sucks. That's really, it's really tough. I do, I do feel, I mean, lol, uh, yeah. talking about a. Uh, 
uh, rights for uh, recently returned people. But I'm like, yeah, you should be able to wipe it out if you've worked at a fucking halfway house for a year. Yeah, absolutely. Bye. There's a uh, fresh start, dude. There's a bagel shop near what I, where I grew up in Cincinnati called Marx's Hot Bagels, whose big thing was that the guy who founded it uh, had gone to jail and knew how tough it was. Uh, for ex felons, so that they only hire ex felons to work at the the bagel cool. place. Yep. Uh, and guess what? Uh, excellent, <laughs> excellent fucking bagels. Marx's Hot Bagels in uh, Blue Ash, Ohio. Uh, a great bagel stop if you find yourself in the uh, north western northeastern suburbs of Ohio. I like that they advertise them as hot. Do they try to the best to do they're ro- fresh bake? They're rolling off the bagel line all day. Oh man, I want a bagel. That's I always Mar- want a bagel. That's Marx spelled like a. Uh, the boy, M A R X, Marx's his hot bagels. The boy, the absolute boy. Yeah, uh, sick. Uh, Kate Gompert, when he buzzed and went up to the five woman room to look in, had made a possible sideways comment about hurting herself, which takes us to note two forty five. Um, Viz, you feeling better? Will be soon. Is that supposed to mean something? What's that supposed to mean? Nothing. Literally nothing. <laughs> Back to the text. And Gately has to call Pat at home about it, and she's out or not picking up. So then he has to call the house manager and relay the verbatim comment and let her interpret it and tell Gately what action to take and how the comment stands in relation to Gompert's suicide contract and how the whole thing should be logged. A resident at Ennett had hung herself from a heating pipe in the basement a couple years before Gately arrived, and there are now Baroque procedures for monitoring ideation among residents with psych issues. The number of 5 East at St. Elizabeth's is on a red card in Pat's Rolodex. Gately has to collect the previous week's counselor reports and collate them and get the residents' files together and get any updates or changes printed out and into the files for tomorrow's all-staff meeting, where the staff gets together in Pat's office and interfaces on how each resident seems to be doing. Residents have a pretty good idea that their alumni counselors basically rat them out in toto at each staff meeting, which is why counselor, counseling sessions tend to be so incredibly dull that only really grateful giving and alumni are willing to serve as counselors. Filing organization is Picayune, and for Gately, using the back office's TP array to print stuff out is unpleasant, mostly because each of his fingers cover almost three keys of the keyboard, and he has to hit each key carefully with the tip of a pen, which sometimes he forgets to retract the nub of, leaving blue smears on the keys that the house manager always gives him an ass-chewing for. Uh, here's a new, um, a, new, a new person to pitch in the, in the Gately casting thing. Uh, the Jack Reacher guy. The, mm. the guy from the Reacher show. Uh, who is if a good casting as Reacher, and he is uh, th- that's the thing about him is that he's enormous, but he is, uh, I think he could process. I think he could, I think that guy's a good actor, and I think that he could could play the the combination of like serious, threatening, but also yeah. like soulful, dumb, wounded. Well, when Don Gately gets uh, seriously, uh, um, when he when he gets violent, he gets a uh, ferociously cheerful. He's he's basically like the smiley face guy holding a knife. He's yeah. like. So, I, yeah, I do think he actually yeah, could do a job. Yeah, uh, Reacher guy. Uh, good show. Watch Reacher. Yeah. Uh, and Gately has to have each newer resident into the office for at least a couple minutes to, like, touch base and see how they're doing and make it clear they're regarded as existing just so they can't melt into the living room's decor and disappear. <laughs> the newest guy is still sitting in the linen closet claiming he's comfortable there with the door open. <laughs> and the new helpless Amy Johnson hasn't come back yet. A brand new court-ordered female, Ruth Van Cleve, who looks like one of those people you see in pictures of African famine, has to fill out intake forms and go through orientation, and Gately goes over the house rules with her and gives her the copy, a copy of the Ennett House Survival Guide, which some resident uh, years gone had written for Pat. 
Gately has to answer the phone and tell people who call the office for a resident that residents can receive calls only on the payphone in the basement, which he has to say yes, is frequently busy all the time. The house prohibits cellular slash mobiles and has a boundary about the office phone for residents. Gately has to kick residents off down there when other residents in line come and complain they've exceeded their five minutes. This also tends to be unpleasant. The payphone down there is undigital and unshutoffable and a constant source of aggravation and beefs. Every conversation is life and death, crisis down there 24-7. There's a special way to kick somebody off a payphone that's respectful and non-shaming but also firm. Gately has gotten good at assuming a blank but not passive expression when residents are abusive. There's this look of weary expertise the house staffers cultivate, then have to flex their face to get rid of when they're off-duty. Gately's gotten so stoic in the face of abuse that a resident has to mention actual unnatural acts in connection with his name for Gately to log the abuse and give out a restriction. He's respected and well-liked by almost all the residents, which the house manager says causes the veteran staff some concern because Gately's job is not to be these people's friend all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then in the kitchen, with the fucking crispy treat bowls and pans still a fucking mess, Wade McDade and some other residents were standing around waiting for various things to toast and boil, (laughs) and McDade was using his finger and pushing the tip of his nose up so that his nostrils faced straight out at everybody. He was looking piggishly around and asking if people knew any people where their nose looked like this right here, and some people said, yes, sure, why? Gately checked the fridge and again saw evidence that his special meatloaf had a secret admirer it looked like. Another big rectangle cut out of the leftovers he'd carefully wrapped and laid out on the sturdiest shelf in there. (laughs) (laughs) The idea that the meatloaf is so dense that That it would, like, break the fridge. It needs, like, a structural support. McDade, who Gately struggles daily with the urge to hit McDade so hard there'd be nothing but eyes and a nose down over the tops of his cowboy boots... (laughs) McDade's telling everybody he's constructing a gratitude list at Calvin T's tough love suggestion, and he says he's decided one of the things he's grateful for is his nose don't look like this here. (laughs) Gately tries not to judge on the basis of who laughs and who doesn't. When Pat's phone rings and Gately leaves, McDade's squunching his upper lip up in his hand and asking people about acquaintance with cleft palates. Gately has to monitor the, like, emotional barometer in the house and put a wet finger to the wind for potential conflicts and issues and rumors. A subtle art here is maintaining access to the resident's gossip grapevine and keeping on top of rumors without seeming like you're inducing a resident to cross the line and actually eat cheese on another resident. The only thing a resident is actually encouraged to rat out another resident on here is picking up a substance. All other type issues, it's supposed to be staff's job to glean and ferret out, etc., to decoct legitimate infractions out of the tides of an innuendo and bullshit complaint 20-plus board crammed together street candy people in detox from wrecked lives can generate. <laughs> Rumors that so-and-so blew so-and-so on the couch at 0300, that thus-and-such has got a knife, that X was using what had to be some kind of code on the payphone, that Y has gone back to carrying a beeper, that so-and-so is making book on football out of the five-man room, that Belbin had led Deal to believe she'd clean up if he made crispy treats and then she weaseled out, and etc. Almost all of it's picayune and, over time, as it accretes, unpleasant. That's that section. Let's move on. Yes. Great. I love I love the descriptions of Gately doing his uh, task. You know why? Uh, it's taught, again, speaking about Reacher, um, it's... And uh, talking about uh, why I like that movie Hail Caesar... I love stories that are just a guy being good at his job. A guy being good at his job. Uh, it seems like it would not be a uh, good engine for dramatic uh, description or, or you know, momentum, but mm. 
you know, if you have a guy who's just really good at his job and then you keep throwing increasingly difficult challenges at them, then watching them just be good at those challenges becomes increasingly uh, satisfying. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is also, I would say, I wouldn't say Leo's the best at his job, but I think uh, Cliff Booth is very good at his job, yes. which is to be a stuntman slash like bodyguard yeah. slash help, helpful man. Yeah, to 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 be the very specific job of being the, the assistant to Rick Dalton. Yeah, he's very good at it. Yeah. All right. Rarely a feeling of outright unalloyed sadness as such afterward, just an abrupt loss of hope. Plus, there is the contempt he belies so well with gentleness and caring during that postcoital period of small sounds and adjustments. Orin can only give, not receive, pleasure, and this makes a contemptible number of them think he is a wonderful lover, almost a dream-type lover, and this fuels the contempt. But he cannot show the contempt since this would pretty clearly detract from the subject's pleasure. Because the subject's pleasure in him has become his food, he is conscientious in the consideration and gentleness he shows after coitus, making clear his desire to stay right there very close and be intimate when so many other male lovers, the subjects say, seem afterward to become uneasy, contemptuous, or distant, rolling over to stare at the wall or tamping down a smoke before they've even stopped twitching. The hand model told him very softly how the photograph's big pink Swiss husband, after coitus, hove himself off her and lay there stunned under his stomach's weight, his eyes narrowed to piggy slits, and the faint smirk on his face that of a gorged predator, not like the punter, uncaring. As was SOP with subjects, she became then briefly stricken and anxious and said no one must ever know she could lose her children. Orin administered the standard assurances in a very soft, intimate voice. Orin was resoundingly gentle and caring afterwards, as uh, she could somehow just intuitively tell she, he would be. It was true. It gave him real pleasure to give the impression of care and intimacy in this interval. <laughs> if someone asked about his favorite part of the anticlimactic time after the subject lay back and glisteningly opened and he could see her eyes holding him whole, Orin would say his number two favorite is that this post-seminal interval of clingy vulnerability on the subject's part and gentle, intimate care on his own. When the knock on the room door came, it seemed like a further grace, for the subject had been up on an elbow in bed, exhaling slim tusks of cigarette smoke from her nose, and starting to ask him to tell her things about his own family, and Orin was stroking her very tenderly, and watching the twin curves of smoke pale and spread, and trying not to shudder at the thought of what the inside of the subject's fine nose must look like, what gray-white tangles of necrotic snot must hang and twine up there from the smoke, whether she had the stomach to look at a hanky she'd used, or whether she balled the thing up and flung it from her with the sort of shudder, oh, new he'd feel... And when the brisk action of male knuckles sounded against the room's door... The he, brisk action of male knuckles? He watched her face whiten from the forehead down as she pleaded that no one must know of her whoever was there and stabbed out her butt and dove beneath the blankets as he called for patience to the door and veered to the bathroom to wrap a towel around him before he went to it. The sort of bland hotel door you used a card and not a key for. The defiled, guilty, and frightened married hand model's wrist and hand protruded for a moment from the edge of the bedding and felt the floor for shoes and clothes, the hand moving like a blind spider and sucking things up under the blankets. Orin didn't ask who it was at the door. He had nothing to hide. His mood at the door became extraordinarily fine. When the wife and mother had erased all evidence of herself and heaped the bedding over her so she could lie there sniffing grayly and imagining that she was hidden from view, just one lumpy part of a celibate napper's disheveled bed, Orin checked the door's fisheye peeper, saw only the hallway's cl uh, clore-colored 
Claret, a colored wall opposite, and opened the door with a smile he felt all the way down to his bare soles. Swiss cuckolds, furtive Near Eastern medical attaches, Zaftig print journalists, he felt ready for anything. <laughs> the man in the hall at the door was handicapped, challenged, in a wheelchair, looking up at him from well below peephole range, bushy-haired and mostly nose, and looking up into the swell of Oren's pectorals, making no attempt to see around him into the room, one of the disabled. Oren looked down and felt both let down and almost touched. The little fellow's wheelchair, shiny, and his lap blanketed, and his string tie half-hidden by the clipboard he held to his chest with a curled and motherly arm. Survey, the man said, nothing else, joggling the clipboard a little like an infant, presenting it as evidence. Oren imagined the terrified subject lying there and trying to hear, and despite a sort of mild disappointment, he felt touched at whatever this shy ruse of an excuse for proximity to his leg and autograph might be. He felt for the subject the sort of clinical contempt you feel for an insect you've looked down and seen and know you're going to torture for a while. <laughs> From the way she smoked and performed certain other manual operations, Oren, <laughs> Oren noted she was left-handed. He said to the man in the wheelchair, Goody! Plus or minus 3% sample. Eager to cooperate in any way, the man cocked his head in that way people in wheelchairs do. Scholarly academic study. Pisser. Leaning against the jam with arms crossed, watching the man try to process the dissimilarity in the size of his limbs. No shins or extremities, however withery, extended below the wheelchair's blanket's hem. The guy was like totally legless. Oren's rising heart went out. Chamber of Commerce survey. Concerned Veterans Group's systematic inquiry. Consumer advocacy polling operation. Three percentage points error on either side of on either of two sides of the issue. Bully. Consumer advocacy group opinion sweep. Very little time involved. Government study. Ad council demographic assessment. Sweeps. Random anonymity. Minimum in terms of time or trouble. I'm clearing my mind to be of maximum help. When the man had taken out his pen with a flourish and looked down at his board... Oren got a look at the yarmulke of skin in the center of the seated man's hair. There was something almost unbearably touching about a bald spot on a handicapped man. What do you miss, please? Uh, Oren smiled coolly. Very little, I like to think. Backtrack. USA citizen? Yes. You have how many years? Age? You have which age? Age is 26. Over 25? That'd follow. Oren was waiting for the ruse involving the pen that get him to sign something so the very shy fan club get their autograph. He tried to remember from Mario's childhood how long under blankets before it got unbearably hot and you started to smother and thrash. Oh my God. He tortured this poor boy. Oh God. He's like smothering him and shit. He's awful. Fucking Oren. <laughs> the man pretended to notate. Employed, self-employed, unemployed? Oren smiled. The first. Please list what you miss. The whisper of the vent, hush of the wine-colored hallway, Vegas whisper of rustling sheets behind, imagining the growing bubble of CO2 under the sheets. Please list lifestyle elements of your USA lifetime you recall and slash or at present lack and miss. I'm not sure I follow. The man flipped over a page to check. Pine, yearn, winsome, nostalgia, lump of throat, flipping one more sheet. Wistful as well. 
you mean childhood memories? You mean like cocoa with half-melted marshmallows floating on top and a checker-tiled kitchen warmed by an enamel gas range? That sort of thing? <laughs> or uh, um, um, omniscient doors at airports and star markets that somehow knew you were there and slid open before they disappeared? Where did those doors go? Enamel is with the E? And then some. Oren's gaze now was up at the ceiling's acoustic tile, the little blinking disc of the hall's smoke monitor, as if memories were always lighter than air. The seated man stared blandly up at the throb of Oren's internal jugular vein. <laughs> Oren's face changed a little. Behind him, under the blankets, the non-Swiss woman lay very calmly and patiently on her side, breathing, <laughs> breathing silently into the portable O2 mask with canister from the purse beside her, one hand in the purse of the Schmeisser GBF miniature machine pistol. Jesus. <laughs> I miss TV, Oren said, looking back down. He no longer smiled coolly. The former television of commercial broadcast? I do. Reason in several words or less, please, for the box after reason, displaying the board. Oh, man. Oren looked back up and away at what seemed to be nothing, feeling at his jaw around the retromandibular's much tinier and more vulnerable throb. Some of this may sound stupid. I miss commercials that were louder than the program's. I miss the phrases order before midnight tonight and save up to 50% and more. I miss being told things were filmed before a live studio audience. I miss late night anthems and shots of flags and fighter jets and leathery faced Indian chiefs crying at litter. I miss <laughs> sermonette and evensong and test patterns and being told how many megahertz something's transmitter was broadcasting at. He felt his face. I miss sneering at something I love, how we used to love to gather in the checker-tiled kitchen in front of the old boxy cathode ray Sony, whose reception was sensitive to airplanes, and sneer at the commercial vapidity of broadcast stuff. Vapid ditty, pretending to notate. I miss stuff so low denominator I could watch and know in advance what people were going to say. <laughs> Emotions of mastery and control and superiority and pleasure. You can say that again, boy. I miss summer reruns. I miss reruns hastily inserted to fill the intervals of writer strikes, actors guild strikes. I miss Jeannie, Samantha, Sam and Diane, Gilligan, Hawkeye, Hazel, Jed, all the syndicated airwave haunters. You know, I miss seeing the same things over and over again. There were two muffled sneezes from the bed behind him that the handicapped man didn't even acknowledge, pretending to write, brushing his string ties dangle away again and again as he wrote. Oren tried not to imagine the topography of the sheets the subject sneezed into. He no longer cared about the ruse. He did feel tender somehow toward him. The man tended to look up at him like people with legs look up at buildings and planes. You can, of course, view entertainments again and again without surcease on tele-entertainment discs of storage and retrieval. Oren's way of looking up, as he remembered, was nothing like the seated guy's way of looking up. But not the same. The choice, see, it ruins it somehow. Correct. With television, you were subjected to repetition. Correct. The familiarity was inflicted. Different now. Correct. In uh, absolutely uh, correct analysis of uh, a streaming television age that would come 20, 20 years after this book. Crazy. Yep. Uh, that you can watch everything, but it's not the same because you, uh, can't, you can't surf the channels, which is why... Hotel Room Shark Tank. Hotel Room Shark Tank is the only answer. Does indeed hit different. Yes. Inflicted? I don't think I exactly know, Oren said, suddenly dimly stunned and sad inside. The terrible sense, as in dreams, of something vital you'd forgotten to do. The inclined head's bald spot was freckled and tan. Is there a next item? 
things to tell me you do not miss for symmetry. <laughs> Balance of opinion, Orin smiled, plus or minus. Just so, the man said. Orin resisted an urge to lay his hand tenderly over the arc of the disabled man's skull. Well, how much time do we have here? The skyscraper gawking aspect was only when the man's gaze went higher than Orin's neck. They were not shy or indirect or even the eyes of someone in any way disabled was what struck Orin later as odd. Besides the Swiss accent, the absence of a signature ruse, the subject's patience with the weight, and the absence of gasping when O pulled the covers abruptly back later. The man had looked up at Orin and flicked his eyes slightly past him at the room behind with pantyless floor and humped covers. Orin was meant to see the gl glance past him. Can return at later time, which we specify. You are, comme on dit, engaged? Orin's smile wasn't as cool as he thought he wasn't as cool as he thought as he told the seated figure that that was a matter of opinion. <laughs> what do you think? How are we doing on time? Uh, I think that's probably if you if the next segment is is the big thing. Yeah. Uh, yes, we're at twenty eight minutes, and let's stop here. Great. Um, what what are we, we like hit page six hundred? Can it, you believe it? I cannot. Uh, what we the next thing is like what a car chase. If, who, who, can who, can, who can say? You right. haven't looked it up and spoiled it for yourself? No, I've not looked anything up about this book. I don't know anything that happens other than what we've read. Wow. Do you, do, do you think you would not be able to resist that if you did not? Babe, sometimes I like we start a movie and I just look up the whole plot summary <laughs> on Wikipedia. <laughs> it's pathological. Yeah. Well, it's, did you look up the... I'm a very uh, de journey, not destination. I don't really care what happens, just did I, you, how it happens. Did you look up... What happens in this book when you were originally reading it? I did not. You did not. This, uh, unfortunately, I feel like this tendency has only grown over time with the uh, increase in online resources for things yeah, such I'm, as uh, plot summaries. What year did you? Would you say you read this originally? I read this in the um, winter of two thousand nine. Yeah, winter so, of two thousand nine. So I mean, this read must must be. What am I trying to say? It, it, it must be more rewarding because we're doing it as a project and because it's the second time, but also that it is even more prescient 10 years later, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, also, I just, I don't know. It's, it, I'm a, a big proponent of re reading things again after um, like li living a little bit of life. Like that thing about, uh, that Oren was just saying about how he uh, misses kind of the, uh, the being s subjected to the experience of television of traditional broadcast television versus the uh the morass of endless pointless choice of a, a streaming cartridge area yeah like, i hadn't even experienced i yeah. was i was getting netflix on dvds yeah exactly around that like time. netflix was, it was just then launching it's like streaming services uh and now we live we live in the streaming cartridge world and yes he is correct because you know what it is it is when you watch something over and over again, because you are the one who is choosing, you are the rat hitting the lever, the pleasure lever, yeah, uh, over and over again, and mm -hmm. that feels bad, man. Yes. Versus someone programming something for you, it's like, well, I didn't have any choice. Yes, I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't put these reruns on. The brass at CBS did. Yeah, then like the, you know, I remember being very young and like watching, I don't know, whatever Nickelodeon, and and knowing that there were only like twenty. Because they never actually had tons of episodes of those like Nicktoons and stuff. There were only ever like twenty or forty episodes of yeah. them, and then you had to like see one, and we're like, "All right, great, got to wait for thirty nine more episodes to play, and then that one will come around again." It's true. All yeah. Also, like yeah, just having. I remember like 
getting to stay up a little bit past my bedtime to see the Spice Girls on the TV show, all that, uh-huh. uh, which I'm pretty sure that show aired at 8 p.m. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Snick? Do you yeah, remember Snick. Snick? Yeah. Just the, yeah, the idea that, um, like, t- TV is no longer an event. Yes. Uh, but we haven't replaced that which event is why... with anything good. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yes. Like, we've only replaced it with non-events. Mm-hmm. It's, it's literally a stream. It's a constant. Yes. Uh, you, there's no difference between stream and not stream yeah, which in the is same way that we're like, always online as opposed to sometimes we're on and sometimes you, Yeah, not. you don't like get online. Uh, which is why things like the Oscars and Super Bowl have so much difficulty because they're trying to be events in a non-event-based world. Yeah, and it takes, uh, you know, ec- extra um, st- stunts and uh, stunts, pranks, uh, jokes, and, and Japes, memes yeah. to uh, turn things into more an event. Yes. Um, which is... As Wallace identifies, feels like a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just the idea that you know to to take time out of your day to like watch TV. I mean, mm-hmm. you were doing other things besides watching. TV. Or had an appointment. <laughs> you had an appointment of be of being like, I got to get home by seven so I can make dinner because at eight blank is happening. See, I know, I know. I feel like we're we're reminiscing nostalgically as a uh, as the uh, um, wheelchaired man is asking for things that you miss. But then on the other hand, my poor father, who's a fan of the New York Metropolitans, uh, we'd have to tape the game sometimes for him. Like if he was yes. working later, if he had something to do, and then Lord forbid if we did if we taped it wrong, and then he might he would maybe watch it on Sports Center as a rerun later that night. Now you can literally know what the score of the game is at all times. Yes, is that good or bad? Probably good. I don't know. There's a Seinfeld episode about that. Remember where he's watching the taped Mets game? Yeah, and, and I believe Kramer ruins the end. Yes. It's funny to think of yeah to think of the idea of spoiling the end of a sports game. You know what it is? It's the idea of being present. Yes, you are in yes. in the olden days. If there was a, is, it's funny a very th- special episode airing at eight seven central, you yeah. were present for it because you had to be. Yes, and now it's like oh well, you know I could watch this later, so I'll also kind of be on my phone yes. the entire time. Or like, oh, I, I'm on a date, but also the Mets game is on and it's a big one. Um, so I'll just check the score a little bit surreptitiously at dinner. Yes. No one's present anymore, Chris. Which is a funny and it's <laughs> hilarious to imagine uh, all the, the TV detractors in like, you know, the uh, you know, mid late 20th century uh, imagining that people will um, would be at some point lamenting the centered presentness of watching television cheers or oh, whatever yeah. you right know. as a, and even then it was you know yeah considered like a, a huge mind the, bo- the boob tube uh yeah the, the, abs- the boob tube you know uh the worry that uh children were being raised on television television rots your brain and tell yeah television is your is your mom and dad now see it's all it's it's, it's all the same yes. cycle it's just you know it's technology yeah develop i'm sure the fucking cavemen were like um if Timmy ooh, ooh, ah, ah, is drawing pictures of cows all yeah. day. He'll never uh, actually milk them. Yeah, I don't know. Did they were they milking? I don't think they domesticated cattle back then. Oh yeah, eventually they hunting. Did. Well, if he keeps drawing these freaking woolly mammoths, he's like not he's not gonna hunt them. He's not gonna hunt them. Like Timmy, uh, get off of the cave wall and get back into the real world. <laughs> yes. Uh, this or- oral tradition of epic poetry is going to uh, <laughs> rot our children's All the brains. kids are sitting around listening to Homer j- jabber on and on about <laughs> shit that happened way too long ago and no one gives a shit. 
And they're not they're yes. not stomping grapes for wine. <laughs> the the vineyard trees are laden with overripe fruit. Uh, too much listening about the wine dark sea. <laughs> not enough me seeing some wine darkened knees. Get in the bin and stomp some <laughs> some grapes. Yeah. There's not, you know, every yep. every generation has uh, the new technology to uh, worry that your kids are going to have their brains melted yeah, out, you, and still, still, we figure out ways to have sex and have more kids. So yeah, whatever. Once you, once we get to the next thing, which is just instantaneously downloading a whole story into your brain, cool. We're gonna miss the, we're gonna miss the days of streaming. Yeah, or yeah, a, a podcast. Uh, yeah, a, a, somehow like an episode of a podcast being downloaded directly to your brain mm-hmm. so you can just sort of think about it while yes. you do the dishes rather than, you know, hit play on an iPod. iPod. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I only listen to podcasts on an iPod the way the, the way God intended. There was an article the other day about people who like hack old iPods now to like maximize uh, like uh, streaming or not streaming capacity, like storage capacity and like redo like the facades and everything there's like a whole community Re- of like, ipod refurbisher yeah ipod refurbishers. Uh, should I, I get you one for uh, a gift maybe maybe um i had an aborted idea for a video series that would be people reviving their old ipods and showing me what was on them mm-hmm. but there's not enough people who've even saved them which i is have an old I- ipod of, laying around somewhere i'm you're, sure you want me to film you uh doing doing stuff in it well let's hope the engineering is good enough that it would still turn on uh i like that thing in the gately segment where it kind of seamlessly switched from mario's pov to like the universal pov of of the Ennett house yeah um to just do more gately description of gately's daily tasks yeah uh it does sound i i i get how enervating it must be to work there but it also you know the, the the purpose associated with a job that can be done and can be done well you know yeah uh, I feel like must be very helpful, and I, I I like that one little segment of him having a little bit of anxiety of what happens w- once he loses. This, yeah, he's uh, like, "This job sucks. What's going to happen when I lose it? Oh no!" Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Also, just communal living is hard. Yeah, there's always someone who got all the dishes dirty and didn't do them. But, but that's why you need a gately figure. You need a strong man at the center to be the the spoke of authoritarianism. Yeah, you can't. You cannot administrate. Um, yeah uh collectively it's uh, sorry you need you need a especially big daddy with, to tell you to wash the especially dishes. with a transient pop- population you know yeah uh no that's that's not gonna work yeah you need uh in this in this way i am astonished <laughs> uh you, you need the you need the uh authoritarian center yeah um i i feel like uh well we know from the very first chapter that that gately gets wrapped up in so, in some kind of uh adventure with uh how at least so i feel like there w- there is at least one like gately actually flexing his muscles and doing some some kind of uh, uh, uh actiony thing coming yeah up, which i'm excited to see yes it's finally all all happening it's all happening uh butter butter your popcorn <laughs> for, for the next segment yeah <laughs> is the next segment is it's gonna take like weeks, man. Like, is it like a, a, a seventy-page? Yeah, like, something like that. Yeah, is it like a seventy-page unbroken sentence of For, action? It's not an unbroken sentence, thank God. But it's uh, I think it'll be the longest segment to date, besides maybe like Eschaton. Uh, Eschaton wasn't even that long. No, it's we got through that in like one two episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> 
Did you see those people who made the uh, who actually made the the just memes for Infinite Teens uh, Twitter thing? Yeah, uh, doing the Breaking Bad meme where it's like Walt looking at Saul, and uh-huh. it's the Saul is labeled a sentence that already has uh, two semicolons, several commas, <laughs> uh, s- three uh, three endnotes, uh, and six subordinate clauses, and Walt's. Uh, Walt's labeled David Foster Wallace, and the caption is, I'll tell you when we're done. <laughs> I didn't, I did not see that. It's really That's good. Pretty good. I'll have to find that and, and RT that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Anything else today? Uh, well, I, don't, I got nothing. Uh, well, thank you for listening to to uh, what has been lauded as the least pretentious Infinite Jest pod in the in the world. There are actually there are not that many Infinite Jest pods. Do you think other people would have the, the wise idea to make content out of this thing? Yeah, well, it's just so large, you know. But yeah, again, well, that's, no, a good, that's a good idea. Yeah. You can have a really long podcast. Well, no other uh, podcasters have the tenacity, the raw refusal to quit the pure ambition to actually get 600 pages into this stupid project. Uh, except uh, the we hate uh, or I hate Infinite Jess guy. The I hate Infinite Jess guy didn't do it all. But, you know, that's why I didn't feel bad about just taking this name wholeheartedly from another yeah. podcast that did it. There is a, another group of people who tried to do uh, an infinite, uh, infinite cast and got, what, like seven episodes into it and quit or something like that. It's it's tough. It's not easy. You got to hang in there. I said in that Daily Dot interview is, or no, I didn't say that, but I think it's like my philosophy of podcasting is if you want to do a podcast, yes, you should you should do it. The market is not oversaturated if you think you'd be good at it, and specifically if you think you would have fun, fun. doing it with your co-host. But the thing is, if you start doing a podcast, I think that you should commit to yourself uh, deeply in your bones and look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to start doing a podcast, and if I'm going to start doing it, I'm going to do it for at least a hundred episodes yeah. before I quit. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if nobody listens to it. It's just like, that is the project. That <laughs> is what the thing is. Unless it's like a limited series or something. You're like, I have an idea that can run for like a concrete 20 or something. Yeah. I feel like but I if ha- you're doing like an ongoing <laughs> thing. You're like, no, I, I, if I give, if I start this thing that is meant to be an ongoing podcast and I give it up before a hundred episodes, yeah. I'm a fucking pussy loser. <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> uh, because, in the end, podcasting isn't that hard. And if you can't commit to an idea that you believe in enough to start it, enough to go that long, wow! then what the fuck are you doing? Points are being made. Speak on it. Uh, speaking of podcasts, um, I had mentioned that we have another podcast be- before because I had the vague idea that not everyone has found this podcast through uh, our podcast and introducing podcast, 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 say podcast one more time. Uh, we have a podcast called and introducing is a podcast about words about music. We talk about music, writing, memoirs, biographies, autobiographies, tweet threads, uh, feature features, it, cover stories, stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes with the authors themselves. Uh, check it out. Our latest episode is about uh, vacation King, Jimmy Buffett. Uh, if you want to escape, uh, it's yes. worth worth uh, getting into. So change that's, your latitude, change your attitude. Change your attitude, cha- change your latitude, change your attitude. Something uh, I'm sure David Foster Wallace would be extremely anti, considering he seems to be the only person who was upset on a cruise ship, a luxury cruise. Although going to a Jimmy Buffett concert and writing about the parrot head seems like something that David Foster Wallace would be would have get a great essay out you of. You know, you know what my lost David Foster Wallace, um, like it, gigantic Atlantic essay is. Mm. If you went to Coachella. Yes, that would be great. I would kill for that. The music, a I music should, festival. I should write a. Um, well, I can't because I'm already. I am already a fan, and David Foster Wallace is a 
it's not his whole thing, but I should I should write a, a David Foster Wallace style uh, music festival Essay. report. Yeah, that would be very funny. Mm. And uh, you'd have to go through back through all those uh, consider the lobster essays, Big Red Sun, and and Up Simba, and everything. And oh yeah, to twist my arm. My favorite writing ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> should we? Maybe we should do one of those as a palate cleanser after this. Well, one of the. I mean, we should do a, a supposedly fun thing. That's like we my should favorite. do a supposedly fun thing. Maybe we'll do it as like a bonus. I got taught that in college. What a what a privilege. How long is that? It's like it's like thirty pages or something. It's not that long. Yeah, it's like maybe. Not quite ten thousand words. I don't know. Um, maybe if we maybe if we get ambitious slash bored one night, we can sit down and crank that all out as like a two hour episode. Sure, let's get into it. All right, what do you think? Uh, that seems like enough content for the for uh you. Unlike the Chavo listeners, are not hogs for the lovely listeners of Infinite Cast. The Castheads. Do we have a name for our audience? Casters. The, the Infinite Jesters. The Infinite Jesters. That's easy. Your Jester ma- yeah. Maxing. <laughs> no, not just maxing, just maxing. Just maxing. Word. Uh, all right. We'll hit you next week on Infinite Cast. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.